You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Ice Cream with Investors. I'm your host, Matt Four, and today we're launching a special episode. This week, I am doing something I haven't done in a very long time, which is travel internationally to take a vacation. I grew up in a really small town, so traveling internationally for me is one of my passions because it's an opportunity to meet different people, see how other cultures It's an opportunity for me to meet other people, experience different cultures, and most importantly, eat all of the good foods. So because of this, I wanted to share a special episode I did with a friend of mine, Barry Griffins, on his show, Wrestling with Real Estate. And in this episode, you're going to learn a little bit more about my story and also hear my four principles for living a more intentional life. I hope you enjoy this show. And if you enjoy Barry, please go check out his podcast, Wrestling with Real Estate. And we will tune back in next week with the regular scheduled broadcast. Thanks again. And I hope all of you have a great day. Today's interview is with Matt Foray, Nashville, who now lives in Tampa, Florida. And he talks about how he's built a portfolio of 10 single family homes and family homes and is now transitioning into multifamily. But more interesting, Matt has four principles um, to live by. And he talks about these four principles uh, taken from Ray Dalrymple principles. So really interesting. Uh, I got a lot out of this interview and I hope you guys do. So stick around for all of that phenomenality. Hello and welcome to Wrestling with Real Estate, where we look to chokeslam all your real estate problems. I'm your host, former WWE wrestler and now Cirque du Soleil performer and of course, multifamily real estate investor, Barry Griffiths. Now today we're joined by Matt Foray. Hey Matt, how are you doing, man? Fantastic. Happy to be here. And I love the intro. Love the intro. <laughs> Thanks, man. I got to bring something, right? You got to bring some energy at least. Yeah, nothing yeah. Else. absolutely. Well, cool, man. Hey, you're actually in Tampa. Right? We were talking beforehand. You're in Tampa where my old stomping ground, right in uh, South Howard. I've got a few stories from the bar there. I'll have to share those with you afterwards. Not on air, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. They, they won the championship, the Super yeah, Bowl, a couple yeah. weeks ago. Dude, fireworks were going off all night long. But that was the night before the Super Bowl. It's just oh, like really? that all yeah. the time. It's yeah. a crazy, crazy environment over there. Did you go to the parade, like all the boat parade or whatever? No, but I saw uh, all the uh, the videos of Tom Brady, and I'm happy uh, he's enjoying himself. Yeah. For as much people as as much as people want to hate that guy, mm-hmm. dude, he's a winner and he does everything right, so he gets to enjoy himself. Yeah, man, that guy deserves nothing but respect, I think. But that throwing that Super Bowl trophy it was like, yeah. if that goes in the water, you don't get that back. Nope. you nope. can't die. That's just going straight to the. Oh man, that's. I don't know if you remember the smell of the bay, but that would not be something I would want to go retrieve either. Yeah, true, very true, very true. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for being here. I'm like really excited to, to dive into your story and what's, what's going on with you. Um, so before we do that, do you want to kind of introduce yourself and let people know more about you and what you've been up to? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm here in Tampa. I actually split my time between Tampa, Florida and Nashville, Tennessee, where I uh, spent about 12 years of my uh, life. In my professional life, I'm a, I've spent a, over a decade in sales and sales leadership at one of the Fortune 50 companies. And through those times of being in sales, you get these lumpy commission checks, which has kind of led me down the route of real estate. So got a lot of interesting stories around that and, and look to look forward to telling you more about them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how did you first get started in real estate? I think that's a good place to start, right? You mentioned off year, right? You saw a lot of people that you were working on, they did really well for themselves, they had a fancy watch, they had a nice house, nice cars and all this stuff, right? And you kind of decided, well, you saw that and was like, well, that's cool but let me invest my money, right? Let me do something with my money. Where did that come from? How did that start? Yeah, so there's a couple things there. I, like yourself, grew up in a very, very small town. It wasn't 200 people, but it was about (laughs) 20,000 people. And my dad was an entrepreneur growing up, so we had really good years and we had some not so good years. And um, that really kind of taught me the value of money and making sure that you had a safety net under you. But through the sales process, like we, I was part of a team, long story short, that was involved in a $10 million net new logo for our company. And I was super excited about that commission check. And I was calling all around like, hey, what do I do with this money? Because I'm not gonna say the, the amount of money here, but it was life-changing money. And so I was calling all around. I had a friend and a mentor that was in real estate. He was like, you should really look at this real estate thing. You get 
cash flow from owning it, you get a tax benefit from owning it, and you get the appreciation of the Nashville market, which was going gangbusters at the time. So I'm like, great, with this kind of money, I can go buy a couple properties in cash, or I can buy multifamilies and lever it up and all that kind of stuff. And then I got that fateful call right before the uh, Christmas holiday of that year from my vice president at the time, and it's not the company I work for today, to be very clear. And they said, Matt, we're not gonna pay you that amount of money. We're actually only gonna pay you two cents on the dollar. And so at that point, I was like, wait a minute, like wh why is that happening and all that sort of stuff? And that really just taught me that if you have your livelihood and the way you put food on the table uh, dependent on someone else, then that can be taken away at any point in any time. So that led me down this whole uh, journey of real estate and um, kind of uh, this rabbit hole that I'm on. Yeah, man. What can you do at that point when they tell you that? Anything? What can, like, no, like I mean, every every big company has in their uh, terms and conditions and their employment agreements that they can change up things on the fly. And so I will say this. I wasn't the only person that that's ever happened to at that company. But what really bothered me at that point is they said, you're going to get paid two cents on the dollar. You're going to get paid 10 cents on the dollar. You're going to get all of the money that you were owed. And it just it didn't feel right for me. So uh, there's not much you can do, but it just it it accelerated my journey to uh, financial freedom. That's for sure. Yeah. And you're not the only but I think you're the second or third person. I've heard a similar story like that. And like you said, that led them to be like, hey, I need to take control of my life here because I can't rely on these people to do what they say they're going to do and put my future and my family's future in their hands. Right. And it's like it's kind of a little bit of a aha moment for, for a few of them. Yeah. And I can say it, it through pain can be looked at as something as woe is me and this sucks and why has this happened to me? Or it can kind of kick you in the butt and drive you into a different direction. And for me, it, it stunk at the time. It still hurts and it's mm -hmm. still a little sore. But at the same time, man, when 2020 was happening and March and all that kind of stuff, I know we were chatting that, you know, Circus Soleil is shut down and all that sort of stuff. I wouldn't say that I wasn't like freaking out just like everyone else. But at the same time, I was like, hey, at the end of the day, I still have money coming in from my rental portfolio and that will put food on my table and that will put a roof over my head. And the stress that that relieved from me is monumental. So for anybody out there today that's you know on the fence of this real estate thing, do I want to set up myself in the future and things like that? I would just encourage everybody to take a look around and say, as long as you're working for someone else, they can come in the next day and kind of take it all from you. So it uh, it helped me at least. Yeah, but like, people always ask me, is real estate risky, right? I'm like, yeah, it, it's risky. There's risk involved, right? But there's also risk involved in not investing in real estate. Like I mean, she mentioned, like, you know, being depending on this company, right? And climbing the corporate ladder and, you know, expecting that job to always be there, right? That's risky as well to me, right? So I think I would like to risk more on real estate and have that risk there and you know you, you there's things you can do to mitigate that risk and control that risk to some extent um there's a lot not a lot you can necessarily do on the other side of the w side. so i think that's a, that's a really interesting point 100 percent. And, and i've enjoyed everybody i've ever worked for i've enjoyed the companies i've worked for i've enjoyed the training that i've gotten from those companies whether they be leadership training or sales training or things like that but you know at the end of the day you're a number on a pnl and if things aren't working well you're an easy easy to replace yeah for sure what was uh, what was your first investment so that led me down this rabbit hole and I called one of my realtor friends and he obviously gave me the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, which led me to Bigger Pockets, which led me to Four Hour Work Week, which led me to all these separate books that people have read. Um, at that point, though, I had been pretty primed. Like I knew that I was going to get this money and I knew that I wanted to invest in real estate. So my first real estate investment happened within months of that. I would say it was like May or June timeframe of that next year. So within four or five months. And it was just a townhome and it was a townhome in my neighborhood that I lived in at the time. And my thought process was this was 2015. It was like a 2014 build. It was brand new. It was eyes and ears on the property. It was for me, it felt like a less risky investment because I knew being brand new and living in a townhome down the street from this place that the quality of the build was fine. And if I needed to, I could run over there and fix something. And I joke because if you ever see me swing a hammer, you, you'll never know if I'm right-handed or left-handed. It's not like I can fix anything anyways. Um, but it just gave me that peace of mind. And, and I'm glad I did that. It's not my best cash-flowing asset that I own. It's not the most appreciative asset that I own in terms of like real estate growth. 
but it got me started. And anybody out there today that's kind of thinking about how do I invest in real estate? What if I make a mistake and things like that? I preach to my friends, just don't lose money on your first investment. Mm -hmm. And it's a great investment because it teaches mm -hmm. you confidence. It teaches you the skills. It teaches you the process to get going. So um, that was my first investment and I still own it to this day. That's really cool. Yeah, because it's it's so true, right? That first investment is scary for all of us. I think it, you know, maybe, there might be a few people out there who don't get scared by it, but I know I was, right? And it's not necessarily always the money that you make. If you make a ton of money, great, right? But it's that proof of concept, right? Hey, put renters in there, they pay me, I'm cash flow positive, I'm paying down my debt, and it's tax benefits, right? If it's appreciating a little bit at the same time, great, right? All those things. And also you're learning, right? And you're getting that, like I said, that proof of concept, like this works, this absolutely works and I can do it. And that's, you know, without that, if you fail on the first one, I'm sure, I don't know the statistic, but I'm sure the statistic of people that don't succeed on their first property and stop and never go on to do a, another one is pretty high, right? Because that first one can really stop you in your tracks. Yeah, I've heard this quote before that uh, I, I there's there's a lot of people out there that have done zero deals. There are very few people that have ever just done one deal because once you get a taste of that and you do have somebody paying down the debt, getting that tax benefit, seeing it appreciate, coming cash flow coming in each month, it becomes an addiction, man. It becomes yeah. an addiction. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. So how do you scale? It was actually that first one. Did you buy? How did you buy that? Just traditional financing, twenty percent down. But yeah. Yeah, straight up conditional, 20% down I, and uh, went to a traditional bank, all that kind of stuff. That was before I ever knew that you could invest in other ways. Same here, same here. Yeah, the exact same same thing with me. The uh, So how do you scale from one to 10? Was it still the same way, buying them with 20% down of the MLS? Or did you develop over that time to do to some different strategies? Yeah, so I've developed into different strategies before. I say like making that first investment was a little um, nerve wracking for me and it was easy for me to get over because I kind of saw the path of, hey, this money could be taken anyways. I might as well put it into an asset. Um, but then I started finding out about these like wholesalers out there and the people that would acquire properties without ever acquiring them and, and wholesaling them to investors and things like that. So what I did was I jumped into bigger pockets and, and put my name out there as somebody that buys real estate in Nashville. I joined every single Facebook group that I could ever find in Nashville or Tennessee or anywhere in the surrounding states that wholesaled property. I got on list, I put my email address in all those comment sections and then the deal flow just started happening. And so from there, it was really just a matter of running the numbers, figuring out if that was something that was going to be a heavy lift in rehab. So I've taken on properties where I've done heavy lifts and I've taken on properties where I've done like very little rehab. So I wanted to kind of work my way down there from MLS turnkey to on the uh, a wholesalers list, but not needing much of a rehab to getting wholesalers that needed a full rehab. So yeah, I just got on a bunch of wholesalers list and started finding properties that made sense for me. And, and at what point did you start talking to the wholesalers? Which property do you think? Was it number two, number three, number four? Two. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> you went pretty quickly then. So you went from MLS, 20% down, turnkey property, to then find, finding wholesalers and doing that. That's pretty cool. That's pretty quick, quick turn. You know, um, funny story on that. My second property that I ever bought, I still have never seen the inside of it. Really? Um, you've never seen... I've seen enough pictures to kind of know... Um, but, uh, I've never seen the inside of it. And most, I would say most of my properties at this point, I've never even been on the inside of them. I've either had somebody go out there and look at them, or I've seen the pictures and felt comfortable with it or a property manager or something like that. Yeah. So, so yeah. how do you, how do you analyze something like that? So if you've not been in there, right, do you, someone sends you over property wholesaler, they, what do they include in that for people who've never had a deal from a wholesale? What does that usually entail? Yeah, so what usually happens is you'll get an email with five, six, 10 pictures of the property. And what I do is I take that property and I immediately go on Zillow or Craig's, now Craigslist, because Zillow charges renters to put their, or tenants, or landlords to put their property on Zillow. So I'll just go into Craigslist and do a quick, quick scrub of that neighborhood to see what the rental rates are. If the rental rates meet what I'm looking for from a cash flow investment standpoint, then I know that I want to look at that property further. So then I look at the pictures. If the pictures look fine, then I find out from the wholesaler, when are they trying to close it? What's going to be a compelling offer? Some wholesalers want the highest price. Some people want it that they'll know they'll close quickly. And then the markets I serve or the markets that I'm in, I already kind of have a property manager and a handyman that could go by there. And I always ask them to 
do a video walkthrough and then do pictures of anything that looks funky or things like that. And then I set up a Google Drive for them to dump that file in. I'll take a look at it. And if everything looks fine, then I feel comfortable with it. Interesting. How, how do you estimate any kind of, do they give you an estimate, estimation of what repairs will be, the handyman or the property manager at that point? So it depends. Some of them will, and but they'll always kind of caveat it with like, hey, I'm just walking through this and I can tell you this, this, and this. Um, usually too, in my those markets, like there's not much, I've done a full rehab to properties where there's not much that's gonna explode the budget, right? I mean, there's certain things for sure, but I've taken a unit basically down to the studs and built it back up for 15, 20 grand. So wow. I mean- that's a lot of money. Don't get me yeah. wrong. No, but at yeah. the same time, if you're buying a $200,000 asset and you're buying it at 40% off, like you've got some wiggle room there to make some, make some mistakes. Yeah. I wouldn't advise it for everybody. I'm certainly uh, a little bit more risky on that, but it's worked out for me. Yeah. And, and then, so are you, are you buying this with hard money? Are you using a HELOG? Are you using your own cash? How are you financing these? Yes, yes, yes. All, yes, whatever, yes, exactly. what, whatever. Yeah. All of the above. Yeah. So at first it started with um, traditional financing. So I found a wholesaler. I actually bought a triplex from a wholesaler with traditional financing really? because he cared most about highest offer. Mm. And I felt like it would appraise for a certain amount. So I just had an appraiser go out there and he, he told me, he's like, Hey, if this doesn't work out traditional financing, you're still on the hook or your earnest money is, is done. And I knew at that point that I had a couple of different hard money lenders ready to, uh, ready to go on it. If so, but some of them, like I said, you're, you're in sales, you just get these lumpy commission checks where it's like, hey, my cash balance is built up to a certain amount. I know that I can go spend this much on a, on a property and, and be okay with it. So it depends on the property and depends on the, where I'm at from a cash standpoint. And, and was the, is the goal to, to do that? Were you burying a lot of these, doing the buy, renovate, rent, yeah, so, refinance, repeat? <laughs> it was a yeah. It. So my best deal so far is exactly that. I In Nashville, there's this area of downtown Nashville. And then as you get to the airport in the next county over, there's really, really great development. So this whole development in Nashville missed this big pocket near the airport. And that's where I lived. And that's where I had most of my investments. So I'm getting to a, a long-winded story here. But there was this property there that I knew was a freak. It was a smoking deal. Like it was, I, I didn't even have to see it like, yes, because it was so cheap basically. So I had a hard money lender lined up there and basically we bought it hard two weeks. We had to evict the tenant, which was an interesting process for me to learn through. Cause that was the first time I had ever had to do that. Um, we put $20,000 into it. So we bought it for 80. We put 20 into it. It appraised for 150. We pulled 110 out of it. I'm already getting back $10,000 and the thing cash flows 500 bucks. So wow. that is a great, great strategy for those people that are um, getting into real estate and the single family specifically to buy rehab rent and then refinance out your money. Obviously in Tampa, these are in Nashville. How, how much time are you, you obviously have a property manager, guess, I'm guessing, right? Managing all of them. How much time do you spend a week, do you think? On these properties. Very little, very, very little. I have a triplex that gives me a little bit of an issue. Um, <laughs> and I would say probably once a month, I'm getting a call that says this, that, or the other is, um, and we could, that, that's actually what led me down this path of multifamily is that mm. single triplex, uh, and the issues that I'm having there, but very little. And some people, um, you know, there's this debate out there, like you should manage it yourself because you can save money. And there's this debate out there where you can uh, hire a property manager and let them manage it for you. If you've got a high income job or if you've got something that takes a lot of your time, whether that be family or a hobby or something like that, I would encourage people put it in your numbers that you're going to have a property manager and just hire a property manager. Like I, the stress of knowing that someone's never going to call me at one o'clock about an issue, one o'clock in the morning about an issue makes it all worth it to me. Now, some people would say I'm wasting money there, but it's paid its weight in gold from relationships that I've made with other investors, from off-market deals that I get a chance to look at because they manage the property already and they know the owner's about to sell, and from dealing with the eviction and from dealing with the rehabs and issues like that, that I find it's been worth it. Yeah, and I think with that debate, it's just like everything, right? For me, what, I don't understand why anything has to be black and white, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other. It depends on personalities, right? I'm like you. I want to have a proxy manager. I don't want to deal with all that 
legal stuff, having to learn all that, having to deal with tenants, having to face evictions, having to learn how to screen tenants, all that stuff, right? And I kind of have an idea, of course, but I would have spent my time doing other things, right? And that 8% that I paid up the property manager is nothing, is pennies to me compared to what I would have to do and the time I'd have to be involved. Now, there's other people, they want to be involved, they want to learn, they need to know every part of the process. And that's fine too, right? It just depends on who you are. And I think it's important, like just with anything, right? It's to understand who you are and how you, how you work and how you like to do things. And I think that will tell you the answer more than listening to us on here, right? Now, we have an opinion about it, of course. I'm of the same opinion as you, Hire a property manager. They've been doing it for years. They're a good resource. They can get find deals. They can find you uh, vendors. You know they have handymans a lot on team. They they take so much of that out of it for you. But if you really want to do it yourself, do it yourself, right? Is it's yeah. just there's there's no right or wrong. I think to that answer. And <laughs> yeah, and the, the two ahead, things sir. I would say there is highest and best use of your time. Yeah, what is exactly. it? I can't I can't tell you what yours is. I yeah. can tell you what mine is, but yeah. I can't tell you what yours is. So what's the highest and best use of your time? And then you did brings up something around the legal stuff. People that know I do real estate now and they buy a second house and they're going to rent out the first one. They always ask me the question, like, what should I do and things like that? It's like, hey, just understand you're taking on that legal responsibility. And so for those of you living in non-landlord friendly places, Chicago, New York, L.A., Portland, Seattle, et cetera, there's some there's some tricky things that you want to make sure that you truly understand before you get involved in it. Or else, I mean, that that's a whole nother rabbit hole of issues you'll have to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Well, you touched on there as well with your three unit that now you you want to be more focused on multifamily. What what led to that? Uh, yeah, so I had two things happen to me in 2020 that kind of kick started me towards the multifamily journey. And one of them was in that three unit there, I had a, a, a minor flood in the second unit and it was only like five thousand dollars so when i say minor it was it was minor and 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 that's not going to break me right i'm very fortunate it doesn't break me but barry that wiped out my entire cash flow for the year on that unit right and so when you think about things like multifamily for me was always a little bit scary because hey those are multimillionaires that are doing that billionaires that are doing that and things like that but as you start to think about it, like, hey, if I have 200 units and one unit has an issue for $5,000, that's a that's a drop in the bucket on the amount of revenue coming in. But if you have one unit and you have a $5,000 issue, I mean, that's that's a pretty big issue. So that happened. And then I'll be daggummed if like two months later, uh, one of my HVACs went out. And uh. same thing. I mean, it wiped out the cash flow for the entire year on that property. So those two issues kind of led me to think about like, how can I scale this? How can I get some economies to scale? How can I do this better? And that led me down to the multifamily journey. Yeah. And what I found with multifamily as well, a lot of these costs that come out almost baked in, right? You can't predict a flood, but over 200 units, there's probably been a flood in one of the two of the units over that year. So when you're analyzing that property, it's in the repairs and maintenance, right? It's in some kind of the cost. And because it's more detailed as well, right? If you're analyzing a, a single family home, they say, what, 5% for repairs and maintenance, 5% for capex, 5 or 10% for vacancy. But that's just guessing, right? It's like when you get a T12, a trailing 12 in multifamily, you're able to see what that property did over the past year and really get into detail and really, you can't predict what's going to happen next, but really have a good idea. And if you go back, you know, T24, T36, right, the last two or three years, you really get an idea of what that property has done and what the repairs and maintenance, what the expenses are on that. And it's so much more predictable than a single family. Like you said there, right, <laughs> you have one thing that goes wrong and it can wipe out the cash flow for a year. Now, I'm not saying anyone's listening, oh, yeah, I shouldn't invest in single family. No, you're still getting that debt pay down. You're still getting, hopefully, an appreciation. You're still getting tax benefits. It's still good, right? It's still better to be investment. But and that's what also really attracts me to the multifamily. Just what you said, you're able to see those costs and kind of budget for, you know, they've already been budgeted for and you have a better idea of what your returns will be. Yeah. And I think one of the things you're touching on there too, is like when you buy a multifamily unit, you're buying a business, you are buying a small business. And yeah. with small businesses, you start to think about the different plates or the different strings that you can pull in that business to reduce your OPEX, to reduce your expenses, but also increase the NOI, which increases the value of the property and things like that. And with single family, I mean, you're kind of beholden to the the how much the guy next door sold his property for and how much the woman next door sold her property yeah. for and things like that and how good your tenant is and whether you get frozen pipes because you live in Texas and you never thought about frozen <laughs> pipes in Texas kind of thing, right? So yeah. 
as we're recording this, Texas is getting hammered with snow and I hope yeah. everybody down there is safe. And I don't yeah. mean to say that facetiously, but like you're kind of just rolling the dice with single family, which it was great for me to learn. It was a great place to start. I would still encourage a lot of people to go down that route as they kind of learn the process and learn how to invest. But uh, every single investor that I've ever met, it seems like started by wholesaling properties. And then they were like, wait a minute, I should own these. And then they started owning the properties. And after they own the properties, they were like, wait a minute, I should own more of these. So they then <laughs> get into multifamily. So let me just go ahead and skip you the four or five years that I've learned on and say <laughs> that if you're an investor out there, multifamily is a great place, whether you're a general pro partner um, putting together the deals or a limited partner as a passive investor. Yeah, and that's the cool thing about these large apartment complex deals as well. People can be, come on board as a limited partner, right, as a passive investor. Someone, you know, if you have some money to invest, you can be part of a 200 unit deal that, you know, how many of us can buy a 200 unit deal? I know I can't right? <laughs> buy it myself anyway, but you can be a limited partner, be in there and also leverage other people's skills, right? And time and efforts and, you know, essentially similar to a property manager, just invest that money, right? And give yourself that time freedom and, you know, use other people's expertise to, to, to grow your wealth for you. So I think, I think that's also a great option for a lot of people. We talked before um, beforehand a little bit off there and you were saying that you have four principles, right? That you like to share with people. It's kind of a little bit of a framework um, for, for people to live a successful life, kind of, right? It's kind of your idea of that. You want to share that with us? I'm really yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate the opportunity to share this. And First, I want to kind of give a broad statement around why principles are important. Mm -hmm. And there's a book out there by Ray Dalio called Principles. And if anybody's a reader out there, I highly encourage you to get this book. I'm going to try. He can do it way better than I can. But I'm going to try to explain this idea of principles versus tactics. Because I think a lot of people in life today live in a tactic world when they don't understand what their rooted principles are. And they, they don't have clarity on that. So principles is... Uh, something that it doesn't matter what the decision is, you already know the answer to the decision because you have your principles for how you live your life. So I'll give an example of marketing, right? Marketing is all about reaching customers where they are and trying to bring them to where you are. And that's one of my core principles in life is meet people where they are before you ever try to bring them to where you want them to be. Today's society, we live in a shouting match of people just yelling at each other saying, come to me, come to me, I'm right, you're wrong kind of thing. No, you got to meet that person where they are, right? So if you're in a marketing, you got to meet people where they are. And what we see is that, you know, there's Facebook, there's Instagram, there's LinkedIn, there's podcasts, there's YouTube, there's TikTok. If you base the way you do your marketing on one of those, let's call it TikTok as a tactic, then one day the U.S. government could decide to ban it. The next day they could say you can be in the U.S., but you got to sell it. And then the next day a new administration comes in and it's business as usual. You never know where the wind is going to blow. But if you start with the core principle of meet people where they are, then you can be dynamic and shift with the tactics that they are. So my four principles for how you should live a successful life are clarity, consistency, efficiency, and compounding. If it's okay with you, I'd like to kind of- Yeah, please do, man. Yeah, this is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, first and foremost, it's clarity, right? It, it's the number one thing for a reason. If you don't know where you're going, any route is going to take you there. And what I think, uh, what I have seen is that people think that decisions are binary. There's like a right or a left, a one or two, a yes or a no, a black or a white. And what really it is, is it's very, decisions are very interwoven to each other. So when you make that right turn, all of a sudden your options become a little bit less limited or a little bit more limited, right? And so what you end up doing is you start spinning down this path and you end up somewhere where you didn't even know where you were going in the first place. So first and foremost, people need to be very, very clear on who they are, what they stand for, what they want to do with money. Money to me is a tool. And I'll give you an example of clarity in, in this sense. If I came to you and I said, hey, Barry, I've got a great investment for you. We're going to return your money and double your money in two years. You'd probably be thrilled. You'd be like, yeah, yeah. Like, tell me more. How do I get more of that? But then if I told you that you were going to have to work an additional 50 hours a week, that you were going to have to give up spending time with your young son, and oh, by the way, it's super risky, so you might lose it all in a month. Sounds pretty terrible, right? Yeah. But if you only start with, oh, double your money in two years. Yeah, that sounds great. Let me go down this rabbit hole. Then all of a sudden you end up in a place where you didn't want to be. 
So some questions that I like to ask people when we're getting clear on things is, what do you value? How would you make an impact if money wasn't an option? What would you do if $10 million showed up in your bank account tomorrow? And chances are, if they're consuming this type of content, they would not go to Vegas and, and <laughs> put it all on red. And I know you're in Vegas. It's, I use that as an example, but yeah. it's kind of funny because you are in Vegas. But uh, chances are they probably wouldn't go to Vegas and just put it all on red or sip my ties. They would be more intentional with their the way they view their life. So clarity is kind of that first principle there. Yeah. Man, clarity is so important. So I'm lucky that I have a friend called Mandy McAllister who we, we've been doing um, a mindset series on and we talk about all stuff. And Clarity was one thing that we talked about because like you said, without clarity, right? You don't know where you're going, right? You, you, we have GPS these days, which is great. But before that, right, if you didn't have a map showing you how to get, if I want to get from Vegas to New York and I don't have a map and I don't have GPS, how do I know where I'm going, right? You just aimlessly driving and, or flying or walking or whatever it is in the wrong direction, probably a lot of times, and you end up in Canada, right? That's not where you want to go. But it also, the more cl clarification that you can get as well, it just makes everything simpler, right? You just understand everything. It either fits what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve and who you are as a person. Right? It doesn't need to be monetarily, right? It might be clarity in terms of morals. It might be clarity in terms of who you are as a person, right? Those things, they, they just really help define everything and make everything decisions decisions, decisions easier, right? It's just 100%. Like, yeah, man, it's it's so important. And I think I like the questions that you said that you like to ask people there. And I think a good question that someone asked me and I was like, whoa, it got me this like, in 10 years time, what does your, your life look like, right? If you close your eyes now and you imagine your life in 10 years time, right? What does that look like, right? The dream life, what does it look like in 20 years, right? And if you haven't able to have that clarity, because a lot of us don't, right? We have a financial goal, right? So when someone asked me, my financial goal was, all right, I want to make 100,000 a year in income from real estate, right? Which is a fair enough goal, right? I thought, oh, I, I know, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. And then they asked me that question. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't know. Do I live in mm -hmm. Vegas? Do I live in Florida? Do I live in the UK? Like these things matter, right? They matter in your decisions, right? You know, and it all adds to that clarity. So I love that, man. That's so important, I think. Yeah. And one of the things Tim Ferriss, I, he used to talk about way back in his podcast. I don't know if he still does as much, but he used to talk about it's not a matter of what you decide to do. Clarity helps you decide what you're not going to do. Yes. And so what I t like to tell people as they're going through this is, Put yes, maybe, hell no up on the board and write the traits and write the qualities of the job you want. Write the traits of the financial asset that you're looking to invest in and things like that. And the older I get, the more I realize saying no to the wrong things is just as important as saying yes to the right things. Yeah, man. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And it all, also what it is, is as well, is once you have that clarity as well, right? The amazing thing is that we have control of our own lives, right? We can do whatever we want with our lives, essentially, right? I know some people have tough circumstances, but, you know, there's plenty of people that have been in horrible circumstances and they're able to take control of their life and change it into what they want to be, right? You have a job that you hate. Believe it or not, it might not, it might not happen overnight, but you can change that situation, right? You can invest in real estate. You can invest in stocks. You can start your own business. You can find a job that you're passionate about, right? You have that control, but it all starts, like you said, with that clarity. I love that, man. That's really yeah. cool. I'm, I mean, I'm talking to a guy that was a former undertaker and he was wrestling in front of <laughs> man, the biggest arenas of all you, time. You've right? really done your homework, man. I love it. You've really done your homework. This is cool. What is, uh, what's, what's the second, that brings us to the second principle, right? What is the second principle? So the second principle, once you have clarity on where you want to go, it's all about consistency. And over the long term, consistency will always be mm. talent. Yeah. And I say that, but I want to give everybody a little bit of grace here. Consistency is about doing something every day that's working towards your goals. It doesn't have to be the right thing. Just do something every day, whether it's a five-minute task, a 10-minute task, whether it's journaling, tying your shoes, do, making your bed, doing something consistently every day towards your goal. And I'm going to use an analogy here to drive this point home. I'm, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I think we can all agree that Kobe Bryant was one of the greatest basketball players of all time, right? Five NBA championships, 15-time All-Star, 30,000 points. I mean, the, the dude was in, in just a winner, right? He's a phenomenal, phenomenal resource, right? He was drafted straight out of high school at 15, and 15th in the 1996 draft, right? Do you know who's number one that year? Allen Iverson. <laughs> Allen Iverson was given a NCAA scholarship to play football. He was an NCAA scholarship to play basketball. He played 
seven or eight seasons less than Kobe Bryant, but made 14 uh, NBA All-Stars. He was a scoring champion. He was an MVP. He was all these things. But you know what? He had zero NBA titles. And in fact, the reason we know Allen Iverson, or the, when I say Allen Iverson, the first thing that comes to people's mind is practice. We're talking about practice. It's this whole tangent of a press conference where he was getting grilled on questions on why are you showing up late to practice? And he was basically saying that practice wasn't important. There's this phenomenal picture out there to contrast that with Kobe Bryant. There's this phenomenal picture out there where Kobe Bryant, who's right-handed, has a broken right hand and he's in the gym dribbling with his left hand. That dude said that I'm going to consistently get my reps in every single day, regardless of the circumstances. And consistency to me, when you do something consistently over time, it builds grit, it builds confidence, it builds um, discipline around that. So if you're out there today and you're thinking, okay, I wanna go invest in real estate, then evaluate a real estate deal every single day. If you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm stuck in my financial position and I wanna go and improve my financial position, move a single dollar from your checking account to your savings account. Find some little small action to consistently do every single day and you'll find yourself in a different position 10 years from now. You can't tell me that if you're a bad reader and you read every single day, that you won't be a better reader. And, and I'll take down the screen when we're off of this and you can see I've got a huge stack of books over here. I grew up dyslexic, right? And those to me are just little miniature trophies. I got like 600, 700 books back here. They're, wow. they're little miniature trophies to me. And so it's because I decided that consistency, I was gonna read five pages a day until I could overcome and not let that hold me back. So once you're clear on where you wanna go, I would encourage everybody to make a consistent action every day towards that goal. It doesn't have to be the right action. Just do something every single day towards that goal. Yeah, and, and the thing with that about taking that action as well is it just has to be something small, right? Listen to 10 minutes of a podcast every day, right? And then in a week, you've listened to a whole podcast, right? And you're like, okay, a whole podcast a week, that's not that long, but it's something. Maybe the next week, you aim to do 20 minutes, right? It's You don't get from nothing to a $20 million portfolio overnight, right? It's done by small bits, right? And like you said, it builds up momentum, right? And once you start doing little bits here, a little bit there, you'll find yourself doing more because you feel good about yourself. You get confidence doing that. You enjoy it, right? I think it's important you find something that you, you somewhat enjoy, right? I know there's plenty of people that made money in real estate and they don't, they're not obsessed by it in terms of that they love real estate. They're obsessed by what it can give them. But I, I think you can get there by just, like you said, taking that consistent action, right? What do you do today? Did I look at the MLS to see if there's any deals that I can make an offer on? Did I reach out to a lender and then I'll reach out tomorrow to another lender and I, you know, get pre-approved and there's so much little steps that are easy, you know, and if you're starting out and it seems intimidating, find the easiest thing for you, right? I always find that, find the easiest thing for you to start. So you start, the biggest, the, the biggest and the hardest thing for a lot of people, I think, is actually starting. And once you start you'll be amazed by how much you can kind of build that momentum and how far you can actually go. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i an Ironman triathlete. So okay. it's the 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, 26.2 miles swim yeah. or run. I do a workout every single day without fail, every single day. Now, to be clear, some days my body does need the rest and it will tell me you need to take this day off or rest or whatever, but I will at least put my shoes on and start on the bike. I will at least put my shoes on and go for a run. I will at least, I will do a little something to start going. Yeah. Consistency. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's so true, man. It's not the big things. It's the little things I think that really add up. Cool, man. I, man, I really enjoy this. This is cool. This is kind of along the same kind of idea as the mindset stuff me and Mandy have been doing. So this is really cool. What's the third principle? So the third thing is efficiency. So once you get clarity on where you want to go. Once you start your consistent action, now it's about refining that action and making sure that it's efficient. So there's this phrase, get going and then get good. The consistency was the get going. This is the get good phase, right? And so I am, like I said, a, a long distance runner. I can't run 200 hours a week. There's only 168. I can't do it, right? At a certain point, you can't continue to do all of the things. You've got to be efficient 
with those right things, right? So again, kind of bringing it to a sports analogy, since I'm a runner, like it's about stretching. It's about making sure that I'm doing core exercises and I'm building the muscles around that get beat down during running and things like that. From a financial standpoint, maybe it's not doing single family. Maybe it's doing multifamily. Maybe it's not putting that money in a checking account or in a low yielding savings account. It's finding a different vehicle to go put it in that's more efficient and things like that. So after you get clarity on where you want to go, after you start your consistency of doing something every day, now's when you can start redefining and figuring out what's the most efficient thing that I could be doing every single day. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions how people can kind of figure that out? Is there any any kind of books, any resources, any kind of thought process that you can kind of go through to, 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 to figure that out? Because I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people are taking action now. Maybe they might be realizing, Hey, I'm spending 20 hours a week on this, these tasks and it's not really that efficient. Any, any suggestions how they can optimize that? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to bring you back to the age old 80, 20 principle, right? I mean, 80% of your results are really coming from 20% of your activities. So I specifically, I spend my Sunday nights always planning out my next week. And I'm really thoughtful around checking the, the journal that I have said that I write my plan down uh, for the week coming up. And before that, it asked me to look at my prior week. Did you do those things? What were your goals? What did you achieve them and things like that? And I would just take some self-reflection time on that and look, where is my 20% of my time getting my 80% results? So it's probably not a, the best answer that I can No, it's a great that. answer. No, that no, I, I think that's a phenomenal answer. It's so true. It's kind of along the lines as well as what I'm thinking about the book, The One Thing, right? What is the one thing that if I do, everything becomes, e- I always mess up, but easier yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know the quote, right? It's essentially the one thing that is going to get you closer to your goal, right? The one, the one thing. And it makes everything clear because if that one thing that you're doing isn't really getting you closer to your goal, well, discard it, put it to the side, right? It's not that important because it's not getting you and serving you. So uh, yeah, that's, and it's similar to the 80-20 rule. And it's funny, it goes back to that conversation we were having around property managers, right? Like that's not my highest and best use of time. That is not the most efficient thing that I can do. Having this conversation with you, connecting with different investors and sourcing more deals is probably more important to me or more efficient to me than figuring out, do I need to call a plumber to go figure this out or is it an HVAC person or things like that? Yeah, yeah. What's the, uh, what's the fourth one? Fourth so the last one is compounding. And man, I am still trying to refine this because I don't think you can, I don't think you can overemphasize how important compounding is. So what I've got is that compounding is really results equals times multiplied by volume. And you can manipulate volume and you can't manipulate time. And this, so this is why I like real estate, honestly, is because once you set it there, you got to let time take its course. You got to let the volume of inflation and increasing the rents and allowing that cash flow to build up. But most importantly, for everybody listening to this, things don't compound. Watches, shoes, boats, like things don't compound, but people and money do. And so I, I don't know the best way to explain it other than that, but there is this story out there of, if I told you, would you rather take a million dollars today or a penny compounding, doubling every day for 30 days, what would you take? Most people would take the million. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, I would take the million, but I know the story, so now I'm gonna take the penny, yeah. Yeah. Because yep. how much is it, how much is it, how much is it after, th- I can't remember how much is it. Well, so if I changed it from a million to three million, what would you do? Oh. I'll go for the three million. <laughs> Still the penny. Really? How the much? The penny builds up to five million and some dollars. Five hundred point five point uh, four. Let's let's round it up. Yeah. But on day twenty nine, out of that day thirty, it was two point six million. So compounding is really about letting your results build on top of each other, and that goes back to the consistency and the efficiency, right? One of the reasons why I love Ironman Triathlon is because no one was born naturally inclined to go swim 2.4 mile, miles, 112 mile bike, and then run a marathon afterwards, right? You just have to put in the time. And that's something I really didn't understand as I was getting into the sport, but I respect more and more as I go into this sport is that if you put the hay in the barn, then it's going to be there for you to pull out in the winter. Yeah. And yeah, I think a triathlon is a perfect example of compounding, right? All those trainings, 
all those runs, all those bike rides, all those swims, they compound to eventually when you do a race or you do, you know, an event. Yes. Yeah, a race. <laughs> when you do a race, it compounds into your performance in that race, right? And if you haven't compounded it enough, you're not going to perform as well as you have, along with the diets, along with the rest, along with the preparation, right? That's all compounding to give you that performance of the day. And if you translate to to real estate, right, it's all the education that you do, all the time that you do, it's all the networking that you do, right? It's all the properties that you can try and buy. It's all the lenders that you speak to. It's all the construction guys you speak to. All that compounds, right, into the properties that you buy. And those properties over time as well, like you said, they can compound into something really amazing, right? And they're sometimes shorter, sometimes longer, but eventually yep. you, you'll, you'll, you'll compound to somewhere where you're surprised that you are, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And compounding just works hand in hand with money, but it's just a general life principle as well. If you yeah. start doing the right things every single day for enough time, you will get phenomenal results. You just got to trust the process. Yeah, man. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, man. That's really cool. There's four principles that are something we can all learn from, right? Something that I think we're all continuously learning, all right? I know for me, each and every step, right? I'm working on better clarity, right? I'm working on better... Um, consistency right you know i know i'm working on better compounding right i know i'm better working on better efficiencies all that is stuff we're always working on right and it's, and it's good to share with them so i appreciate that man yeah. uh, this, this is really interesting man i think uh, thank, thanks for making the time uh, but this is you said before i don't think you said it on there that you were a wrestling fan growing up so this next part should be should be pretty easy for you i'm, I'm, I'm always excited when i have a wrestling fan on to, to, to do this segment so this is where i ask uh, wrestling related real estate questions and the first question is what would your wrestling name be? All right. So I thought about this. I want to give a shout out for my favorite wrestler growing up, which is the Heartbreak Kid. Okay. John Michaels. Yeah. Um, but I did a little like wrestling um, name generator thing, and it came up with my wrestling name as Thirsty Candyman. So we're going to go with <laughs> Thirsty Candyman. Are you sure that was... Uh... A wrestling name, not not some kind of other name, uh, hey, adult, hey. adult entertainment. <laughs> Look, Barry, I'm not here to judge. Thirsty right? <laughs> candy, man. I love that. I love that. Uh, every wrestler, as you well know, has a special move. What is your special move in real estate, you think? So I think mine is consistency, right? I One of the things that I am most proud of in myself in life is that I think I have the ability to outlast anyone over a long enough time period. I'm not more talented than anybody. I grew up dyslexic, I'm not smarter than anybody, but I can out consistent anyone out there. And so I just think it's consistency, man. I'm, I'm early in my journey, I'm early in life, I'm early in my real estate journey, but over the long run, I'm gonna look back and be like, I was very consistent, so consistency. Very cool, very cool. What's been the biggest body slam you've taken? Um, so I kind of want to turn this not financial because I got okay. a couple of financials where I we mentioned earlier that yeah. I was a little risky in some of my initial investments and things like that with the way I was doing them. They've all worked out well for me, um, but it's networking and events. And so what I specifically mean about that is as I move more into multifamily, it's a team sport. You're I'm not going to be the greatest at putting a deal together, financing, due diligence, property management. It, like all these different things. And man, I the biggest body slam I have looking back on the past five years in real estate is not networking and going to events soon enough. So if you're out there listening to this, reach out to myself, reach out to Barry, reach out to any one of his guests and start that process today because you will wake up and be body slammed from the fact that you didn't start it today when you try to scale this thing. Yeah, and you'll be surprised how much further you go as well, like from just networking, meeting people, and just being surrounded by the right people. It's just, and with Zoom and everything these days, right? There's no excuse not to. Right? I virtually have, I think, pretty much every night of the week, there's a virtual meetup yeah. somewhere, right, that you can attend, which is really cool. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So was there a moment that you were standing on the top rope, getting ready to jump, but you were too scared? What was it, and how did you overcome it? Um, so again, there's there's many different ways I could take this, but I'm going to take this to it's this. It's getting out there on podcasts, putting myself out there. I don't think I'm the most articulate or smartest or anything like that, that I might say the wrong thing. I might do the wrong thing and all that kind of stuff. For your listeners out there, I'm actually starting a show March 1st called Ice Cream with Investors. And man, that, that starts March 1st. So we're 11 days away from that. And I'm standing on the top rope right now about to jump. So how did I overcome it? I, don't, I haven't yet. 
<laughs> but it's just recognizing that you got to follow your passions. I love having this conversation. I love getting to know you. I love spending this time together. I love talking real estate. I love talking finance. And I get most energized when people reach out to me and ask me those kind of questions. And if I can add value to them, like adding value to them. Um, so uh, it's really just putting myself out there and doing it. That has been my biggest top rope experience. Yeah, doing it is one of the best cures for that, right? Just go out and do it. And okay, it's an easy thing to say, right? You're scared of something, go ahead and do it. Well, yeah, you know, people might be scared, but the sooner you can do something, the, the less fearful it gets, right? Because if you've ever been standing at the top of a cliff and you're trying to jump into the water or whatever, right? The longer you stand there, the more likely you are, you won't jump. If you just look down and jump or don't even look down and jump, right? Yep. It's That's the way to do it. So I, I encourage anyone to take action if you can. Yeah, what's really helped me there too, and not to kind of expand on this point, but yeah. um, I heard Gary Vee say this one time. He was like, there are 7 billion people on this earth, right? 7 billion people. There's at least 100,000 people out there that, think the way you think, that believe the things that you believe and that follow the principles that you want to follow. So, you know, just put yourself out there and then naturally you'll go find those 100,000 people. And at the end of the day, probably those other six point whatever billion don't matter as much to your life and where you're trying to go anyway. So I, I don't know if that's the best way to summarize what he said, but it just, it really helped me when I kind of put that in perspective that if somebody listens to me and doesn't like my stuff or they judge me or things like that, there's still six point how many ever billion yeah. people out there that have never heard of me and would probably align with some of the things that I do have to say. Yeah, and you'll find your tribe, tribe right eventually. Out of interest, how did you come up with the name Ice Cream with Investors? So I'm I'm an internal fat kid and I love ice cream. <laughs> but I think, look, my, my goal with the podcast is that I want to have interesting conversations with interesting people that hopefully add value to other people. And when I'm on my bike, when I'm running, when I'm doing all these things, I've always had these guys in and I'm listening to people talk and things like that. So I think we live in this pessimistic world today. I think people are a little too pessimistic and they're not realizing the great, great achievements that we've achieved over the course of humanity and how we're just at the cusp of all the beautiful things that we can do. And so I feel like I want to be optimistic in people's ears. And who's not optimistic when you're talking about, thinking about, making analogies about ice cream? So we're just <laughs> going to be ice cream with investors. We're going to take a little lighthearted view on it. And hopefully it resonates with a bunch of people. My main goal, and I was laughing with a friend about this one time, is I would love to be at a conference five to 10 years from now and somebody be like, oh my gosh, you're Matt Four from Ice Cream with Investors. Let me go buy you some ice cream. That'd be like <laughs> the greatest moment of my life. Yeah, you, you're playing the long game to get the free ice cream. I love that. What is I, your favorite I, ice cream? Um, so I go back and forth, but I'm going to give a shout out to my father who told me when I was a kid that you should always get mint chocolate chip because no one likes mint chocolate chip and they'll never ask you for a taste of your ice cream. <laughs> Brilliant. I love that. I love that. He was a man that loved his ice cream. As well. <laughs> well, Matt, this has been fun, man. This has been awesome and very educational as well. It's been a really fun uh, conversation, man. I really, really enjoyed it. So I appreciate you making the time. But before we go, um, do you want to tell people more, where they can, people where they can find out more about you, about your podcast, about everything you have going on right now? Yeah, sure. So I'm still building out the website and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm not some tech wizard and this that's a little bit more heavy lift than I thought it was going to be. So if you want to find me, Matt Four on LinkedIn is the best place to find me. You'll see the address there is Tampa, Florida, in case there's another Matt Four out there. Um, that's probably the best place to connect with me. And then again, we're launching the podcast on March 1st. It's probably going to be rough at first, but we'll figure it out. So if you want to go subscribe on any of the uh, uh, podcast apps out there, that'd be great. We'd appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck, man. I'm sure your, your podcast will be killer, man, for sure. Appreciate that. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.